0: Keeps the best of wine, and he pays the good I find he has opened up the rules. People do not carry laws, do not carry laws. In nineteen forty three. The u.s supervised the liberian general election which brought to power preferred u.s candidate william tubman he previously worked as a lawyer for firestone and served as associate justice on the liberian supreme court tubman became the most u.s friendly president in liberia's history for the next 27 years tubman was able to suppress any opposition to his regime due to u.s support of his leadership world war ii changed the global balance of power and colonial empires in africa began to disintegrate as the main u.s foothold in africa the strategic importance of liberia increased and the government of liberia became a crucial ally in projecting u.s power into africa president tubman's speeches from 1944 to 1971 reflect a Wilsonian notion of self-determination and his policies can be summarized as supporting African independence from the European colonial powers and promoting liberal capitalism across the African continent. The guiding policy for Liberia's national development was the expansion of the open door policy where the guiding principle was that the government should provide the necessary infrastructure and a climate favorable to foreign investors and where the private sector should be responsible for the direct economic activity in the economy. Tubman's open-door policy did create economic growth and is often described in the literature as progressive and successful, with Liberia surging ahead of other African states on economic growth indexes. However, a more thorough study of the open-door policy provided by Clower and others details that wealth was concentrated in a small group of the elite and enhanced the income gap between rich and poor. There was little investment in social development and infrastructure as reflected in the title of their book growth without development the open door policy provided an opportunity for foreign companies to optimize the exploitation of liberia's natural resources while keeping wages low it attracted foreign companies to the mining industry In particular, iron ore, which made Liberia one of the largest iron ore exporters in the world. The liberal policies in Liberia were facilitated by U.S. officials in combination with private investors, which is perhaps best reflected in the setup of the corporate offshore registration system in Monrovia. The main architect behind this system was edward r statinius jr who had been in influential positions with general motors and u.s steel before he became under secretary of state in 1943 and afterwards Secretary of State under President Roosevelt. In cooperation with a few U.S. oil companies, U.S. government officials, and the Central Intelligence Agency, Stettinius and Key Aides wrote the Liberian Maritime Code. It was promoted in nonprofit humanitarian terms that would facilitate development in Liberia, and Statinius expressed that if the system failed, quote, communism, already at work in Africa, would rejoice. I bet they would, actually. After the Liberian Maritime Code had been approved by Standard Oil, it was approved by the Liberian legislature in November 1948 and signed into law by Tubman the following month. And that's still around, by the way. Uh, the Li- Liberia is the, I believe, still the largest flag of convenience, essentially the Delaware of uh, international shipping, where... You can register your ship with the government of Liberia in their maritime registry, no questions asked, no background check, uh, etc. And that definitely augurs uh, things to come. So then, the Cold War begins, and William Tubman pledges the Liberian government uh, to stand up against communist encroachment and uh, becomes. Uh, a very staunch Cold War ally of the U.S. And in return, they were the recipient of some aid. But, like so much international aid, and particularly uh, U.S. aid, literally, it looked really good on the surface, but actually masked a more nefarious intent. And this is actually going to literally kind of explode. This is going to be an aspect of... uh, Disruption in Liberia that uh, is going to be exploited to very nefarious effect uh, decades down the line. But Liberia was among one of the first countries to receive U.S. subsidized rice under the Agricultural Trade Development Assistance Act. This was signed into law by president eisenhower in 1954 with the statement that the law laid the basis for a permanent expansion of our exports of agricultural products with lasting benefits to ourselves and peoples of other lands eisenhower emphasized that in relation to the u.s quote farm surplus problems that food can be a powerful instrument in building a durable peace and emphasized that the U.S.'s abundance of agricultural products should be utilized in the interest of reinforcing peace and the well-being of friendly peoples throughout the world, in short, using food for peace. And food for peace is exactly what this program, uh, PL480, became known under President Kennedy. But, but, I mean, free, free rice. Who could disagree that that's a wonderful thing, right? But, In contrast to this positive notion, PL-480 created problems for many of the Liberian rice farmers. Rice had for centuries been the staple food source in Liberia, and surplus from the local rice production was traded on the local market and along the coast. This gradually changed in the 1900s, when German companies began to import cheap rice into Liberia, which enabled Liberian peasants from the rice farms to instead become wage laborers. Since 1926, Firestone had been the prime impetus for the development and expansion of the wage labor system in Liberia, but it met resistance from local peasants, who were reluctant to stop cultivating their land in order to become food-dependent wage workers for foreign companies. The problem of labor shortage, as experienced in the late 1920s, continued in the 50s and 60s with expansions of the Firestone Plantation and the establishment of additional rubber plantations such as Goodrich, the African Fruit Company, and Liberia Company. This put pressure on the existing wage system. As referenced previously, the recruitment technique was again predominantly, quote, involuntary labor recruitment under government auspices, but this method was very similar to slavery. This type of recruitment created a number of labor uprisings in the plantations, which were contained by the police and military force. The importation of inexpensive food into Liberia under PL 480 allowed Firestone to reallocate farmers who were working the land to become wage laborers at Firestone and other companies in Liberia. Rice imports increased from 19 million pounds in 1955 to 119 million pounds in 1971, while local production decreased by 20% in the 1950s, with an output of 225 million pounds in 1971. Firestone imported low-cost American-produced rice subsidized by the U.S. through the Food for Peace program to feed its wage laborers as partial payment and then deposited the surplus rice into the local market. Rice prices were manipulated so local rice farmers would earn less than the basic daily wage at Firestone. And this is wild, but it was also accompanied by massive advertisement campaigns via radio, which turned many Liberians against their own homegrown rice by denouncing it as that country rice, while instead favoring parboiled rice from the United States. So, yeah, they psyoped everybody into not appreciating their own country rice and buying rice from the United States. Like sicko monsanto shit right anyways as the rice market became unattractive to the local rice producers firestone assisted by transforming their fields into rubber plantations this was done by providing free rubber seedlings to independent growers and technical advice in connection with the development of their plantations which was similar to how firestone had converted many key government officials into rubber producers after the labor crisis in the 1930s By 1967, there were nearly 4,000 Liberian rubber producers, and among the largest producers were politicians such as William Tubman, who owned 1,600 acres, and Vice President William Tolbert, who owned 600 acres. Liberian government officials ensured a low-wage and disciplined labor force since it benefited them directly. For example, when the plantation workers went on strike in 1963, Firestone stopped purchasing rubber from the Liberian petty bourgeoisie, who were therefore motivated to quickly quell the strike. When the PL 480 program was first introduced, Liberia only imported a small percentage of the rice consumed in the country. In 1970, more than one-third of the rice was imported from the U.S., and many Liberian intellectuals and government officials began to see PL 480 as problematic because it created a situation where Liberia was dependent on imported food and foreign aid. Liberia became very vulnerable to changes in the prices of rice, and minor fluctuations could spark civil unrest. This was most clearly evident at the rice riot in 1979 which the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Liberia considered as marking the beginning of more than two decades of conflict and war. People who were influenced by the Pan-African movement, such as Kwame Nkrumah and Marxism, also saw PL 480 as a form of primitive accumulation, which helped foreign corporations transform peasants into wage laborers by destroying the local food production and market. In this manner, a larger and more disciplined labor force was created that had to sell their labor power to foreign corporations in order to survive. For access to the full-length episode, subscribe to the Hour of Frequency at patreon.com slash subliminal jihad.